Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. I have watched you literally like berate people. I don't berate anybody. I have watched you literally berate people because they did one thing differently than you would have done it. That is a filthy lie. Hey, is this recording? No, it's not. Well, hit the record button. Did I do it right? (laughs) I don't understand the purpose of this. Purpose of what? If he's going to sit over there and eat, what is the purpose of recording? Well, you guys are just yakking back and forth. I'm like, I'm hungry, damn it. And what you're going to do is What is that over there? That that looks like a buffalo turd. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that You didn't mean the food. The beans are good. And it's a very small lettuce wedge and an overly breaded drumstick. But Okay. All right. That's why it looked like an airy turd. Okay. Did Did everything get chilly? Is it like... No, I mean, the beans are warm. The um, pork that they have here. Tell me that doesn't look like an airy turd. It doesn't. I was out there. It was fried chicken. It's fried chicken. Maybe I'm just going blind. I might be tired. I don't know. You're definitely tired, son. I mean, think how much you're you're up doing all this stuff. Come on. You're not taking care of yourself. Everybody everybody thinks that this is an immense amount of activity. I guess set up and, and the breakdown is a little bit. I guess lugging the stuff around in the. Oh, what are you talking about? He didn't lug anything. I did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he lugged everything. Hannibal himself. crossing the Alps did not lug as much of his crap as I did with him. Yeah, he did. He did, did you at least carry the little pelican? I did. He did. I got the big one and the two others too. There's yeah. more, there's one of them. Well, no, because those two are mine. So I had the oh. big pelican that weighs more than I do. It's a good thing I wear a truss, otherwise I'd have hurt myself. Right. What can I say? What can you say? Probably not much. Uh, okay, Dutch. Yeah. I think this is elder abuse. But I don't know. You guys are younger, and I'm the ones abusing you, so. <laughs> Why are you so grumpy? Is it the is He doesn't the sleep much either. I'm really I'm concerned about He never about sleeps. Him. He doesn't sleep at all. Um, you get random text messages at three in the morning. <laughs> you're like, what is this? No, you're his BFF. You, you get random text messages. I don't get random text Dutch messages. Dutch yells at me if he knows I'm up at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, because I'm up. So if he sends me anything, I'll yell at him. Um, so you, you got to do a, 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 what I feel like was a very honorable thing a few minutes ago. You got to speak to this crowd. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you said. Tell us Tell us what the purpose of what you were talking about was. Um, I got what Brian Plott uh, called the Founders Award because uh, ETI is a wonderful organization that is kind of underpublicized in our end of the industry. And in that it's a great asset, but independent shop owners really don't know anything about it. Correct. Um, but there was a barrier to entry because it was in order to join as a member, you had a $5,000 yearly investment. Right. Now, that yearly investment entitled you to see white papers and a white paper library from the manufacturers, the original you know, vehicle manufacturers. And I, when I saw him, you know, when we were in Austin years ago, as associate members, we don't need that. So right. I said, let's work at an affiliate program. And I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is, and I gave him a check for a grand. Okay. What you get here 
um, at this event is the opportunity to actually sit down and converse with aftermarket uh, tool manufacturers. Okay. So you can give them feedback. Since you're the end user, which is what always was missing in my view from this, you had the OEMs, you had the aftermarket manufacturers, but you didn't have any, any end users. I, I don't think when we were in Austin, if there were five of us there, right? Yeah. It's because they were all from ASOG and what we were doing. Yeah. There wasn't, anybody, there wasn't anybody else. Correct. That was there, right, Lucas? So um, having the ability to gain different perspectives and to have different insights because okay. we're talking to the original equipment manufacturers and the aftermarket manufacturers to get that feedback establishes a bigger picture, a different perception. And that's critical if we're going to understand where the industry is, where it's going to go, what we're going to have to do to tool up yeah. in order to remain viable for the long term. When you have guys at my age, we have to devise succession plans, right? Correct. And the only way to do that is to be able to have a business that is going to thrive in the future, which means that we can't afford to not make the investments necessary for us so that when we do sell the business, there's a viable business that can be sold. So the, what do they say, 30% of yeah. guys in our business are over 55 yeah. years of age? Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, so a couple things that, that stand out to me is I look at ASTA, mm -hmm. I look at MWACA, I look at, at um, the folks out in California, ACSSA or ACCA, I can't remember which it is. M-O-U-S-E. Exactly. Um, I look at AASP as current, right? I look at those as those who are, are sharing the current information that we have, providing training on the current status of things, right? I look at ACA, and ACA is really focused on providing legislative support to our industry and, and setting us up in a direction where we can go and move forward and, and a favorable light. But then I see ETI. And for me, ETI represents the future. ETI is, is opposed to talking about where we're at right now. ETI is providing the data and the information which allows us as shop owners to plan for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, because the information that's provided here is like nothing anywhere else. Exactly. Right? You will not find this information. They will not talk about the things that are talked about here anywhere else, right? It just. Why, why do you think that is? Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. I think it's because there's a lot of manufacturers here, right? There's there's a there is a plethora of manufacturers here. This is this is a step above the manufacturers, though. The, these are the the consulting companies that the manufacturers hire, yeah, to give them guidance on market research on the next steps they need to take. Yes, and so they come out and they present their findings, I, I thought it was fascinating that the gentleman yesterday was saying that $60 billion 
of warranty work is going to get wiped out by over the air updates. Yeah. What's that going to do to the dealerships? Well, I'd like to know what the context was, how they determined that based on what, I mean, because they don't know what problems are going to arise in the future. So 60, you know, all that if money, they're looking at the existing problems and they, and the they manufacturer by updates and the manufacturer saying, yeah, I can fix this with a software tweak. And they, the manufacturers now have the capability to do over the air so, uh, updates. They're they're no longer going to swap in parts. It's not an update the part that now has a new calibration. Now it's well we can circumvent the problem with a software update. Let's just push out a software update. Dutch is out of focus. Just so you know. Is he real? Is he? Wrong way. Probably look better that way. There you go, right there. I was um, trying to soften up the look. <laughs> yeah, he does look muddled. Um, muddled or befuddled? A little bit of both. Uh, I, $60 billion of, of warranty work is gone. The dealerships are going to become incredibly aggressive. This is 2025. Didn't know what he said, 2025? So we were talking two years from now. All of a sudden... The dealerships don't have as much warranty work. The OEs don't have to pay it out. They just push an update out. gets downloaded over the air. Fixed. Yeah, but you got to remember that's an optimistic scenario, right? I mean, this is this is not guaranteed that, that we're going to have this. This is what is possible. The projections. The projections. So, you know, th but, that's really cautious, very optimistic. But the, he had he had existing numbers that were being fixed with over-the-air updates. If the car being designed for tomorrow factors in over-the-air updates, why wouldn't we see an accelerated amount of warranty work disappearing from the from the dealerships? because they're being fixed with over-the-air updates. It would make sense for me as an OE to circumvent the dealership entirely. I don't have to pay for a technician to, to swap in a new part. I'll just fix it with an over-the-air update. So it makes sense that they're going to accelerate that whole program. So the dealerships now don't have as much warranty work, which means they need more customer pay work, which means that all of a sudden they become much more aggressive. And you see buffoonery like that Toyota ad, right? Yeah. I mean, I can stay that. out of the independent repair shops. I didn't see that ad. You didn't see the ad with the guy looked like a, a grease monkey. He had, he had patched the tire with um, duct tape. And, uh, and yeah, Toyota's paid. like our factory trained techs versus the other guy. And the other guys, you know, in bibs covered in grease head to toe. Yeah, uh, looks pretty rough. With you know, and that that was the ad. That was it. Okay, taking well, advantage of the stereotype that exists. Yeah, taking advantage of the stereotype, but I, I mean that's just going to get more and more aggressive. The dealerships I, also are, are getting really aggressive looking for techs. What is it? Becomeafordtech dot com or some yeah. garbage like that. Stickers on the oil filters and undercars. Stickers on oil filters, but now it's national campaigns. You never saw a become a Ford Tech playing on national TV during a football game before. Now it's all over the place. Yeah, and I think I think what bothers me is because they don't really want to train them to be technicians anymore. They they want to train them to follow a flowchart. They want to train them to do what we tell you to oh, do. They did a great job yesterday. They didn't say follow the flow tank. Hondas are my favorite flow techs. Like, is the problem pleasant? Yes. Obtain known good, good parts, part. swap it in. Right. <laughs> is yep. the problem still yep. present? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Check for go through our intermittent problem flow chart. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Replace with known good parts. Yeah. <laughs> well, so what you know, you've got a ton of opportunity. Right, to be here and to listen and to hear what they have to say and give feedback. Give the tool companies feedback, right? And that's something we've not had. And and they're open to hearing it. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I think in the past we've always thought that they weren't, 
They're just a big corporation. They don't care about you, blah, blah, blah. They're truly interested in hearing what we have to say. They're truly interested in being part of the conversation, right? You know, I'm skeptical. I am cautiously optimistic. I want to believe that they are. Um, I don't have the history under my belt to say they definitely are. Mm -hmm. Um, Having done this for over 25 years as a shop owner, I've never been approached by any company to say, what are your ideas about, we're coming up with a new tool. Okay. What are your ideas about what that tool should do? Okay. What ease of use functions do you want? What functionalities, what is it that you want to see? What I've seen is people, the manufacturer comes up with the tool and says, okay, goes beta testers, you try it out. You let me know what you think about the, the tool after it's already designed yeah. produced and changes are much more difficult to make. But insofar as, hey, we're, do, we're producing a tool that does this, what are your ideas? They've never been solicited from me. Now, it might be completely different for you guys or other shop owners. They, they might have a better relationship or working relationship with a manufacturer who readily approaches them and says, okay, let's give me some, ide- uh, some ideas. I don't see it. So I want to be cautiously optimistic. And what what I like about ETI is that this establishes a venue to get it done. Yep, I agree. The communication is, the networking is here. You're not writing, sending an email off to somebody that you don't know in the hopes that you get contact information so that you can call them on the phone or maybe find out when they're going to be at the next event. They arrived here. They want to talk to you. I've got cards in my pocket from people coming up to me that are with representatives that saying, here, call me. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. What they do with it, I don't know. Like I said, I'm cynical. But it's a beginning. Yeah. It's a bridge that we all need to be on. That we've never had before. Exactly right. Exactly right. And for me, the the barrier to entry was always the cost. So... Working with uh, Brian Plott uh, and mentioning that, we've taken the the dues down to a 1,000, okay? But we're going to be doing more, and that is uh, I shared some numbers with him about uh, what the average shop does across the country, et cetera, that were um, through the Department of Labor and some other sources, and we're going to – he's going to work with the board of directors to – to having the event cost get lowered for the uh, affiliate members as well. Right. So that right now it's like $895. Okay. Well, that's a pretty big investment. And you guys had talked about return on investment. All right, let's do what we can to eliminate the barriers to entry to get them over here. And the I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but the reason that I was brought up was because I – gave a donation to make sure that at least five shop owners can attend. And I'll do that every year, like a scholarship. Right. Now, they'll decide, the board of directors, he said, will decide how they're going to to meter out the funds, whether it's five individuals at $1,000 apiece or one person at at $5,000 to cover uh, travel expenses and accommodations. But this is the best chance, you know. So... I could not imagine being a shop owner, and maybe it's because I've been here, right? But I could not imagine being a shop owner and not think, I need to be part of this. I need to not just come to the event, but I need to be part of this organization, right? Because, A, if we don't support the organizations... Why do you think the NITSA guys never... ever Not the NITSA guys, the um, NASTF guys, they, they never said anything. Huh? They but come the, here... Yeah, then the NASDAQ. They have their board meeting here. They, they had their board meeting and their general session meeting. I attended it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I asked Don. So they're, 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 some of these guys are shop owners. They're board mm-hmm. members. Um, they come to this. They see what goes on here. They're in the know. I, I, I've, there's been some conversations about that. Of why and, it didn't. And get, I don't want to. Why, I, I definitely why, don't no, mean the, to throw shade. Right. But I think. Well, I don't know these guys like you do. You guys, are, you're friends with everybody. I'm okay throwing shade. I'm just, it's not. It's not even <laughs> that there, I'm showing shade. A, it's more curiosity. I come to this 
Is there an advantage for one shop owner to have this information while keeping other yeah, shop yes, owners from having it? Yes, there is, if, but it's it just in your immediate local area. So, you know. Right, the, but the if shop, you're the one, if you, if you have training opportunities and you provide training to people and you do other things and then now all of a sudden that data is only distributed through you. You're the portal for which it. Maybe I, I could see that. But then, you know, it's so your your mindset, it's the, the your mindset is, is overly myopic. You need to look at helping more people rather than looking at it as a slight advantage to Padger. Your bottom line, I, I just don't I don't see the sense in it. But Having more people in the conversation and more viewpoints, more opinions allows the conversation to widen and allows for improvement to happen. Because if you're just asking me for my particular opinion, like it's, it's subjective. It's, you know, it's only what I have experienced. You get a thousand shop owners all giving their two cents. All of a sudden, Real change can happen because these manufacturers are now, the manufacturers, the consultants, the tool manufacturers, they're all looking at it going, okay, we need to, we need to shift. We're getting so many people telling us this one thing. We need to shift in the direction that we're going. I mean, just something like the, the whole snap on PDF thing everybody's complaining about, it's probably going to get fixed. Well, why is it going to get fixed? Because you know, two or three, four, five, six shop owners complained about it to the right guy. Yep. They may have been telling their tool guy, you know, and the tool guy just shrugs his shoulders. Like, who's he supposed to tell? He doesn't know. Well, now we have people have, with actual influence that, that can make a change. So what is your concern that the Nastiff guys have? I don't think it's the Nastiff guys. Not There's some concern. shop owners that are there. There are shop owners that have been here before, mm -hmm. way before we showed up. Had had you I've, ever? I've, I've I've spoken to at least three, and I can tell you that three ideas kept on coming up. Number one was um, that they didn't see the value in having a conventional shop owner attend because the classes that historically shop owners have taken aren't present here. There are no straight tech classes here, and there are no straight business classes. No, I, I say it's BS. That, that's a we talked about before, you guys have talked about the fact that it's difficult enough, you get, we're in the 1% to 2% to actually send their techs and their employees, fellow employees, and to that train. one or two percent want to see this. Okay, those are the people we have to appeal to. That's the the simple truth of it, David. Is is that it, it, you move the entire bar because now it's not hey, send your text to training. I, I think that goes without saying. To, to especially larger training events, right? I think that goes without saying. So. Now you have the, the normie shop owner who is now striving to reach that goal. I'm going to do everything I can to go to AST this year. I'm going to do everything I can to go to ITTC. I'm going to do everything I can. It's like, okay. Well, they're sending their guys to ITTC. They're sending their guys to AST. What's the next logical step? It's like my, my staff is getting good training, but I need macro-level information to make informed decisions about what my shop's going to look like. Any shop that does a SWOT analysis needs to have this information. Yes. Yeah, I but agree. how many shops do you really think do a SWOT analysis? The how ones many, that know about it do. <laughs> how many? All right. Look, you know, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's be realistic about this, all right? Come on. You're a smart man. You tell me, out of all the shops that are in the country – what percentage of those shops that are independently owned, not franchised or, or big box store shops, independently owned, actually create an MF and budget 
right? Sit down in December and say, my budget for January through December of next year, I am going to allocate X amount of dollars to, for training, X amount of dollars for uniform expense, every cover every expense, and do that. They don't even do that. Now you're asking me, which is what you do at your house, right? But they don't do that for their business. Now you're going to say, oh, I need to perform a SWOT analysis? Get the F out of here. This is not what these people are thinking about. I don't don't do one for my house. Okay. (laughs) Most shop owners are- It just turned red. Focus. It just turned red. Right? Most shop owners, they manage their business from their checkbook. Right? It's as long as they see cash flow, they're okay. If you ask them what, what SWOT analysis stood for, they or, you know, what SWOT stand, they can't tell you. They don't do these are things that the larger organizations and franchises teach because it's necessary. But that does not that is atypical behavior, not typical behavior for the average shop owner. And guess what, Pookie? It's not typical behavior for even the one or two percent. Right, I okay. guarantee you, if you took all the people that were in, that that we go to ASTE and we right, and that represents the the one or two percent. When we go to ASTE, those are the people, who, and we'll we'll either further limit it by saying have gone to at least one training event per year. AST Envision, ASTE, and Ratchet and Wrench. So these people are dedicated to training, and you would say to them, "Tell me, how many of you have actually created a yearly budget that's broken down by category by month?" You would see less than one percent actually do it. So if the top, the top of the top, the the epitome, the best of the best, have that small percentage, what is the likelihood, David, that you're going to see a SWOT analysis I think, performed? Uh, I, but or the, actually, wait, let me finish just for a second. That the the amount of introspection that you want that shop owner to have to say, you know, let me look at the macro and the micro picture of this is actually going to occur. It doesn't. It flat out doesn't. I think they do it just informally. I, th- I think they they look the at their well. I look if you if you're spending if at the very least you have decently clean financials, okay, and they're talking to a CPA. Or they're talking to their bookkeeper, and the bookkeeper isn't, you know, family member that just does it on the side. And they have actual meetings with these people. I think, in a sense, they're they're budgeting, be, not no. in the formal sense, but I, I, informally, they're looking at their numbers, going, "Okay, my overhead's fifty thousand a month, right? And I spend, you know, thirty three thousand dollars in in payroll." And okay, so I need to my break even. I I bet you if we poll enough shop owners, I think a large percentage of them know where their break even is. Oh come so, on! The financial literacy in, in in our business is so high. Yeah, it but it, financial literacy literacy in the sense that you're looking at it, you're looking at it from a from more of an accounting side. Just a simple number like a break-even number, I think, puts it in a very digestible fashion. And that, in a sense, is budgeting. They know where their numbers need to be at. So what happens with the extra? I had a when you say that managing uh, from a from their checkbook, I, I remember back in one of the management success classes I'm sitting through, the guy opens up his his banking app. And he's like flipping through and he looks at me and you know, I'm looking over and he looks at me, he goes, yeah, just make sure it's, it's at 60,000. That's that number has to stay at 60. If it drops below 60, something's wrong in the business and I just want to see it grow. But that's 60,000 is my threshold. Like it's got to stay there. He's managing out of his checkbook, but he's, you know, he's got a chunk of money in the bank. He's got savings and stuff like that. But he's looking at that OPEX account. That OPEX account has got to be at 60,000. That guy there can probably push his mindset past that and go, okay, stop thinking about the 60000 Put in more of a budget. Let's start looking at what the industry is going to bring in three to five years and the shifts that you need to make. Because it, it, it then forces him to start looking at it 
from a from a sense of preparedness rather than reactionary. Every single one of those guys that were sitting up there today that were saying that they didn't bother, they weren't going to bother with a level two charger. I have a level two charger. Every single one of them that said, well, I'm not bothering with you. Why? I haven't seen enough demand for it. Well, okay. Yeah, they didn't. They've not been here to see the evidence that there is no way around. When all of the manufacturers and all the consultant firms are standing up there talking about EV, 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 that's got to throw up a red flag and go, oh, crap. I may not be seeing it, but there's a tidal wave coming. Even the least optimistic that it's going to be achieved are saying, oh, it's coming. We don't know how quick it's going to be adopted. We don't know when it's going to be there. We don't know how it's going to be there. It is coming, though, right? There's no way around that. That is coming. The gentleman yesterday said, you don't even understand. Wait till the Chinese show up with their $15,000 EVs. Wait till they show up with their $15,000 EVs. They flood the market with cheap EVs. and Everybody starts snatching them up. What are you going to do then? We went from no Teslas on the road to everybody's got a Tesla 3. Everybody. They're all over the place in Kansas City. Yeah. All over the place. Yep, they're all my over the place near grocery, me. Yeah, my local grocery store all of a sudden has Tesla superchargers. Mm-hmm. A whole line of them. That they, they took some parking spots and yep. slapped them in. Yep. Okay, great. If the, normally, the normal shop owner, just the average shop owner doesn't stop thinking about things in a reactionary fashion. They're going to get left behind. What ETI at least does is it gives them a mechanism to start thinking about three to five years down the road, and all of a sudden a SWOT analysis makes sense. I, I agree with that, that. The last part of your statement completely, 100%. ETI gives people the opportunity. What it doesn't do is it doesn't give them um, the self-discipline to engage in doing it. And God bless you. Thank and you. And that is is a big, big obstacle that must be overcome. The fact is that you know we could talk about what we should do and what ha- what happens. And and um, Jeff mentioned on the the, the panel that I looked for uh, stage three of class three because I wanted to bring um, three phase power for the supercharger. Okay when this first started and the cost to do it just to run the line is 10,000 plus tearing up the, the, my parking lot to do it. I'm in it for about 25 K to get that gone. There's no way that I'm going to pay for that and doing it. So now we go to two. Okay. And I've got an electrician set up the wiring for me and, and, you know, I'm waiting for him to finish and okay. Am I going to see anything as a result of that? No. Not really. Zero. Yeah. There's no ROI on that. There, there is, is no ROI. Okay. There's no measurable. Mar- there is no measurable. Right. But it, it is very much, though, market positioning. It's, yes. There's a benefit yes. to having it, but it's not. Yeah, so we don't disagree. There's, I can see the benefit, but insofar as how this is going to impact my bottom line, it's not going to. You know, Honda made a good point yesterday, though, where they said it's part of the, it's a diagnostic tool. Yeah. Step one, charge the stupid thing. See if it charges. And if it, and if it doesn't charge, we have to know. Like if somebody comes in and says it won't charge, we have to have a charger to know. You got to have a charger charge. to know. So then you just chalk it up to, I need a battery charger. We have battery chargers. We buy them when they break or whatever. They're not expensive. They're not overly expensive. uh, A level two charger is not expensive. It's cheaper than the Tornado, and the Tornado is legit and fairly inexpensive, right? Mm -hmm. So why aren't more shops jumping on it? Because they don't see it. You know, I it's mean, a diagnostic tool, though. <laughs> it's it's what five hundred bucks plus the cost of the electrician. What's the electrician going to cost you? Five hundred bucks. Yeah, you're, you're in it for a thousand bucks. You got the charger set up. It's on the wall. Take a picture of it. Slap it up on Facebook. 
There you go. You got a level two EV. My, slap yourself on the back. And you have a 5% pre-tax net operating profit because you haven't worked the budget, which means you have to have $20,000 in gross revenue to pay for it. That's why they're not going to do it. All right. But see, they don't know that. Yeah, they do. They know don't know that. that. No, they, they don't. Do. Dude, I'm knows. telling you. Look, look. You, you, do you know how many messages I get a day? Do you know how I got four well, very, this morning? You have that. What is that? What's that only five percent net operating profit? That, I, I got four of them. <laughs> <laughs> you got four percent net operating profit. We need to talk. I doubt I have four percent net operating profit right now. <laughs> um, They're finishing I, up my March books. I'll tell you what. My net <laughs> I listen. It's probably 5%. I get messages every single day. Got one this morning. Got four of them this morning from different shop owners who want to improve, who want to do better. They do not know their numbers. They have not known their numbers. They have been in business for six or seven years. They do not know their numbers. They don't know what their net operating profit is. Do you know how they know what their net operating profit is? Because the accountant gives them a piece of paper at the end of the year that says zero on the bottom of it and says that's what it's supposed to be. That's why when you say to somebody you're gonna, it's going to cost, what's $1,000? $1,000 is a hell of a lot of money for a shop that's making no profit or 4 or 5%. I don't doubt that. Okay? So they're not going to spend just, the well, money. Hold on. First off, into the mic, dear. Into the mic. Okay. Dear. And then the, oh, thank oh, you. 1000 bucks though, like... David, that's that's a week of returns. David spends a thousand dollars a day on video games. Not on, not a day, not a thousand. <laughs> not a day. He doesn't deny it. He says it's not a day. <laughs> <laughs> they have good deals. <laughs> they have good deals sometimes. <laughs> if the game is seventy dollars and all of a sudden it's twenty five bucks, and you were like seventy bucks, uh, I was looking at the game, but now it's twenty five. That's a no brainer. I jump all over that. That's a no sale, son. Okay, we're talking about discipline. That's what you call no sale. <laughs> That's where my net operating profits go. Anyway, so uh, all I'm saying, a thousand bucks is a week of returns. You know, and you're a little return heavy. You you bought something and then you're like, okay, I got. They just credited me a thousand dollars. It's amazing how he just comes up with this stuff without out of, out of his ass. He pulls this stuff out. I'm just, oh, it's just, just a week of returns, really, based on what? On your experience, because you are typical. Every shop in the world is just like your shop. That's it. You <laughs> so are it's the typical two weeks chef for some other shop, and two days for yours. All I'm saying is, <laughs> is if if it look at it this way. There's oh, a thousand just, ways to, to to slice this. We try to hit. At the end of the month, like 27-ish percent parts cost mm -hmm. to your overall gross revenue. That's the number I try to hit. 27%. 27%, yeah. And you're including dealer parts? Yes, okay. everything. Okay. Tires, everything. Okay. If it's yeah. a part, I try to hit 27%. Because I don't, I don't, I don't slice and dice the P&L like that. I, I look at the overall number because at the end of the day, it's coming out of my bank account. And I know if I get to 29, something's gone wrong. And that includes warranty work, and that also includes... Um, you don't break warranty work out on a separate line item? Not, not when I'm looking at that particular number. If if my number's up, then I want to dig in and look how much warranty work okay. did we do. He, he, the other he zeroes out his warranty work. Okay. I zero out my, my warranty work. No, because I just want... I know that if I spent $27,000 on a $100,000 a month, my numbers are in line. If I spent $30,000 on a $100,000 a month, I must have been warranty heavy, or did we do a, an engine on a loaner? But now I want to dig in. All I'm saying is, if the number drops down to 26%, I got some extra money. So what the hell am I going to spend it on? That? What I, you <laughs> might do it. Really, do you think, all kidding aside, do you think that, that your business and your business practices with regard to watching money represent a typical or atypical activity? I am a completely incompetent managing money. I don't think you understand. I am completely incompetent managing money. Me too. I am a cluster F. I spend emotionally. I it, when I get depressed, all of a sudden video games show up at my house. I, I'm just saying. It, I spend you, and spend and spend, and also like I also like follow rabbit trails or ra rabbit. What's a, rabbit what holes? Rabbit. Yeah, I go down the rabbit, rabbit hole. hole. Yeah, I got obsessed with keys. I don't know, a month ago, a month and a half ago, I, I wanted to do keys. I'm like, I'm going to get a key machine. 
And so I started pricing them, and I had them in the in the little cart. And the only thing that stopped me was at least I looked back at that number, and I go, I, I really don't have the extra cash. It, I had the cash, didn't have the extra cash, and I knew if I spend this now, in two weeks when rent's due, I'm going to be tight because that's my rent payment for one of my buildings, right? It's what I was about to drop on keys, the key machine. I was kind of hoping he got him because then I could buy him from him at a discount. I, I know, right? Because you know I have a pennies lot of keys on the stuff. dollar, pennies really, on the dollar, and paid him in cash, right? Oh, he well, loved I was that. just going to buy the machine. Hey, do you need it's to buy a, any video gonna, games? You need video <laughs> games? You play video <laughs> games? Don't tell that with my son. Forget uh, it. <laughs> they, they, I was going to buy the machine, and I was going to buy like a few uh, with the keys that I need. Which machine were you going to get? The Dolphin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. And so I, I, the only thing that stopped me was was just looking at the. But I, I guarantee you, last year I would have just I would have bought it, I would have bought it. I'm, I'm trying to be better this year, but I think for the average shop owner, I'm not atypical. I'm not. I'm I'm every shop owner out there, every shop owner that's like, well, crap, I just overdrafted. Every shop owner that's like, where the hell did all this? Where the hell did my money go? I'm, I'm look at the balance owner. sheet. That'll tell you where your money went. Nah, most I of don't them, look the balance, balance sheet's trashed. Yeah. That, well, not even. You don't want to look at my balance. Mine is trashed. Mine well, is yeah. the biggest cluster F. Yeah, I took this long. It's one of the simplest documents on the face of it, the F It is, planet. but it's depressing when you see the so giant you negative number. It. Yeah, you're stopping looking at it. And that's what the average owner does. Thank you. You just proved my point. Yeah, but point. The, balance sheet, like, the balance sheet doesn't help you on a day-to-day basis all, all i'm saying is that like if if you it, it's as simple as this it's as simple as i ordered in 215 60 15s and they were supposed to be 215 60 16s i just spent 280 dollars on these tires i have to send them back that 280 dollars if the tires sit at my shop and it rolls over into the following month they finish my documentation because I bought them on the 28th of the month and I didn't send them back till the 10th the following month. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now I'm uh, cash on, on the accounting, right? It's, it's cash base. Based. Not accrual? Not accrual. Okay. Cash. So what I spent, I spent. It's, that's the number. And then the, the following, well, I'm going to, my number hit 27 this month. It's probably going to be lower. I got 280 bucks sitting there. Like, what do I do with it? Well, you could be like, well, I'm going to make it 26 and try to get that number ticked down. Or I buy the level two charger. And then maybe the following month, I got a little bit of extra money. It sits in a box. And then I hire the electrician or we trade some work. I guess technically you're not supposed to trade. You work. can't. Trade I don't work. trade. You, know? you can't. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> hypothetically speaking, you get, <laughs> you trade work, but you can't trade work because, you know, then it skips out on the taxes. But You know what I think would be an excellent podcast? I think this would be an excellent podcast. I'm willing to sponsor it, just this one episode, just because I think this, <laughs> this uh, I would love to see what David's definition of the average shop owner and what he does for practices versus what we can determine without his input is an actual average shop owner, just so that he could see that he is not typical, that he is atypical in his thinking and the way he operates his but, business. But here's the thing is is that, you know, we, we talked about my friend Cash Chote a while back. Do you know Cass? I remember the name, but I don't know the... Owns Chote Engineering. Okay. Right, like... Um, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was repairing appliances, right? And now owns one of the largest diesel machine shops in the United States, right? Uh, repair shop, massive repair shop. I mean, I, I can't, did he say how many square feet? It was 100, 100 and something. He never said. He never said. Uh, a, a, over 100,000 square feet of machine shop, right? Nice. Massive, massive. I mean, it is a plant, okay? And and we were talking about the fact that Cass is a, a – itty bitty percent of the entire population of the world, right? Not not the population of repair shop owners, right? David doesn't follow conventional methods to run his shop, right? But David is a quarter of a percent of the people on the face of this planet intelligence-wise. He has abilities and he can think through things in ways that most other human beings 
cannot. That makes him atypical, and that just proves my point. It's a mental illness, dear. It's not a mental illness. It's not intelligence. It's not a mental illness. I'm an artard, doesn't That's all that is. You just I, I'm, point, just, Lucas. I'm just looking. It, it's not. It's not. I'm not atypical. I'm just telling you. I'm. The, I'm you choose I'm, not to believe it, but you I, it's absolutely because I'm not. Are. It's just I know my practices. The only thing I've done differently than than every other shop owner is listening to this and going, you know, like, hey, my my bank account's got five hundred bucks in it, and I owe thirty thousand. I don't know what to do, and I make one point four million. Like the, the gentleman, one point four million dollars. Yeah out of my business and I can't pay my bills. Okay. Okay. I have been there. Okay. I have been there. The only thing I've done is I've made the mistake. I've broken the mistake down and I've, I know my own personal habits well enough to say, I'm not going to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not going to budget. I'm not disciplined enough. I'm not. So how do I create fences around my behavior and create a simple system that allows me to to mitigate the damage that I caused through my behaviors and my emotional spending, right? How do I, and something as simple as oh, I all my credit cards are very low limit. I they're all maxed out. Right now you look at my credit cards, every single one of those mother efforts are maxed out. So how, how do I manage? Oh, well, they give me same-day credit access. So I make a $1,000 payment. I got $1,000 to pay on that credit card. Well, why do it that way? Well, it allows me to then spend daily on the to pay the bills, this, that, and the other. And I can watch the, as the money goes out. But I know as soon as I make that payment, that money's coming out of my bank account. And, and then also on top of that, again, I wasn't saving enough. So how did I get around that? Not saving the whole... What, what does every single coaching company teach you? What does every single one teach you? Write yourself a check, drive it down to the bank that you can't have access to, and deposit that in there and do first. it every single day. Even if it's 1%. How much did you take in? Oh, I took $1,100. You write a 1% check. You drive it down to the other bank. You deposit it and you do yeah. that every single day. I didn't have the discipline for that, dear. I didn't have the discipline for that. Like, that wasn't happening. I tried. I tried. It, it wasn't happening. So how to get around that? I just found a credit card processor that would skim off the top, dump it into a different bank account for me. Sometimes it gets frustrating to me because you're not seeing what many of us outside see when we talk to you. That which you just described. What? That's not... It's that's that's Wait. me creating fences around my behavior. All right, yeah. Do you think that creating fences around your behavior, which is a, a good response to a known problem, is something that the average person one does or even acknowledges? That I, someone says, you know, I have a gambling problem, so I can't. Don't drive by casinos. I don't. I don't drive by <laughs> casinos. Right now, we know. That, and I don't get online, they say, because I have a gambling. All right, how many people have gambling problems or drinking problems and still drink? How many people? They don't engage in this type of proactive behavior. Yeah. I, I can see that, but like, it's a good analogy, but something like oh a Oh my drinking God, he problem, said something that he actually, oh my God. The, the, the problem with like the drinking problem or just, you know, like just we were talking about eating and, and health last night at dinner and- the problem with eating overly processed foods that are high in sugar, high in fructose, right, is not that those problems are not going to manifest themselves for 20, 25 years. At 43, all of a sudden, knees hurt. At 60, all of a sudden, you have heart problems. It, and it was like, yeah, it's years of bad behavior. Of, of making bad decisions. I decided to smoke. I kept drinking. I was eating processed foods. I, you know, I wasn't exercising. It's like, okay. The difference, though, is that you can look at your checking account right now and decide whether my behaviors are a problem or not. Right now, to the everybody can open up their banking account and go, huh, that's a problem. It's like, yeah, that is a problem. So what are you doing about it? I don't know. And so they freeze. 
They don't know what to do. The only thing I've done is I, I've I've break broken the problem down and gone, how do I create a fence around this? Because if I don't create a fence around this, I don't have the, what you do is charge it up and then reconcile the parts invoices to, to, uh, to what you've spent. And then you write a check and you hand the check and you get your 2%. That in my world, get out of here. That's not happening ever. But that's what you do. That's atypical. It's only atypical for um, general shop owners. It's not atypical for the corporate world. No, that's true. Right? Yeah. That's, 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 yeah, that's true. That, that's what I consider to be best practice. Right? It is and a that, best practice. And the best yeah. practice is one that was adopted that I could see from the corporate world in that regard. But yes. you have to understand, David, that, that if, if everybody – you know how I feel about you, so I'm, this is not to be taken in, in a bad light. But if everybody had the ability to analyze and then come up with a proper solution to create fences and do what's necessary, then the majority of American households would not have a problem with debt. Not just shop owners. I'm talking about the majority of American householders. Yeah. Would not have a problem. So the fact is that shows you that that ability to compartmentalize, to recognize the problem, to ensure that there are steps to mitigate that problem, that's rare, pal. And it is, but that's rare. The, where yeah. the 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 need, it, it's. I, I was telling my wife this one time. I think I've told you this. My, we're we're now to the point. Like we went through some lean years growing up, but you're young and like you don't need anything, right? You're sleeping on a couch that you got free out of the garage that you had to clean 50 times just to get it clean and the TV that you've been lugging around for 10 years, <laughs> a little 19 inch. That's what we had. Anyway, so you don't need that much, but you get to a point where it's like, I want to go out to dinner. We just go out to dinner. We don't ever check our bank account. We, we don't need to, Right. If I need gas, I just go get gas. Like I never go, well, I, I got to I gotta get gas today because I got paid today. And so like I got to make sure I put gas. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of money and I'm not going to have gas in my vehicle. So I have to go to the gas station on a Friday or whatever happens to me. We're not to that point. It's like I run out of gas. I got to go get gas. It's whatever. What my wife will sometimes see bills come in or mostly uh tax demand letters she she sees the tax demand letter come in <laughs> and she sees the number on there and she freaks out no doubt. and and she's like oh, like where are you gonna get sixty five hundred dollars and i'm like i i look at her and I go if we got this random bill for six hundred and fifty dollars today we'd feel it it'd be uncomfortable but would you worry about it no, exactly. When you start running a business and you get to the numbers that we're doing, which was unfathomable to me five years ago, yeah. right? Yeah. You just have to add a zero to your household expenses that you feel is comfortable, uncomfortable, this, that, and the other. A $1,000 bill at my house would feel very uncomfortable. A $2,000 bill is all of a sudden you're like, okay, we got we to gotta find the money. We're going to tighten some things up, not go out to eat as much this month, you know, whatever. So I, I said, just add a zero or just chop the zero off and look at it from a household standpoint and you'll understand what we deal with. But as the numbers have grown, this is what I, I told her this two or three years ago. We're almost double what I was doing back then. The numbers have gotten to the point where a mistake is now a five figure mistake. Not a four-figure mistake or a hundred-dollar mistake. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And those that five figures now starts. You're like these are are big numbers that I'm, and I. That's what freaked me out. That's what got me to the point where I'm like, I got to stop and make better decisions. That's where the fences started coming up. Is I can't make a five-figure mistake. I've made five-figure mistakes. <laughs> I've made six-figure mistakes. Mm -hmm. It takes years to fix six-figure mistakes. Yeah. It's not something you 
you fix overnight. It's not a, oh, that's okay. I'll just, I'll just fix more cars. No. You're not fixing $250,000 in cars overnight. That's going to take you months. Plus, you still have bills coming in. Like, what are you going to do? And that's where, that's where a lot of my like, behavior. And so some of these guys that haven't changed their behavior haven't seen that hit them yet or may never get to that point where they see it. But I'm just telling them, like, create the fences now when, when it's a $700 mistake as opposed to eating a $7,000 mistake or $70,000 mistake. And, and, and for which we're... Again, we're in absolute agreement that's a, a good recognizing that there's an issue and then creating uh, a system by which you can deal with it to prevent you from perpetuating that mistake yeah. is wonderful. I, I got that. But the amount of introspection that it takes is not something that most people do. It's just not. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the amount of debt that we have in this country. We wouldn't have the amount of alcoholism rates that we have in this country. We wouldn't have a lot of the social ills that we have in this country because the problems that exist that others can see that people choose to ignore that continue to fester and to create problems, everybody else saw it, right? Do you so, see that Dave the, Ramsey uh, clip that was that that went viral? It was a it was a lady who had called in, and um, there were a million dollars in debt. Holy crap! And they, and they weren't business owners like this boy over here is probably in two million. No, I, believe it or not, if if you want to be honest about it, probably one four, one point four million in. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean. I invested a lot of cash. My parents invested a lot of cash. Yeah. But total that I owe is probably somewhere around one four. One point four million. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's a business owner sitting on an asset that is worth more than one point four million. And but he his debt is one point. No, these people had consumer debt of one point. No <laughs> asset <laughs> of one one million dollars. And and Dave Painful, Ramsey's huh? like he's looking at it going. How the hell did this happen? Two hundred and fifty thousand was student loan. They're sitting on a they four or five hundred thousand dollar house. Another one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in in consumer debt. Their cars seventy thousand in debt. Eighty. It's nuts. Yeah, you know, the very fact that Dave Ramsey is a viable solution yeah. for many people indicates that the, the amount of discipline that's necessary isn't present. Do you think it's gone down? Do you think that the discipline has has faded away more and more? You want to know that you're going to hate this answer. But yeah, in my generation, it was completely, and, and my father's generation, we looked at money differently. And the amount of, of discipline, my father always said, first of all, he never had a credit card in his life. Yeah. And uh, the only time I ever got a credit card was when he co-signed for me because I needed one for college for supplies. That yeah. was it. And he'd say, if I can't afford it in cash, I don't buy it. Yeah. That was it. The only one note he had in his life was the mortgage on the house yeah. back in 1970, right? You know, <laughs> before you got, well, 20 years, 30 years before you guys were born, right? So, I mean, um, the amount of, of discipline and common sense that our grandparents had yeah. is doesn't exist now. That's why people are floundering because they live in an immediate gratification society now more than any time than I can ever recall in history. The, the idea of deferred gratification and sacrificing today for the blessings of tomorrow is anathema for most people. Yeah. I just, no, I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. You only live once. I have the opportunity now. I'm going to capitalize it. I'm going to buy what it is I want to buy. And, you know, the future's not guaranteed. We could die tomorrow. I could, yeah, but according to the actuarial tables, the likelihood that you're actually going to do that is kind of remote. So why don't you just plan for living out longer? When we talk about it, we've, we've had discussions in the yeah. past. If you're a technician and you're 25 years old and you say to yourself, I got to have some money when I retire, if you're smart enough, because most guys, limited vision. There's no reason when you're 55 that you couldn't retire with over a million dollars in the bank. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Safe, reliable investments that would, so that when you're 55, 
You could do whatever you wanted or now, not. Now, that being said, 30 years later, whether that million's enough or not, it's a whole different ballgame. But well, it depends on who's in the White House. We're not going there. Um, <laughs> David said Congress. we were going there. <laughs> but th- the fact is that you're right, Lucas. What is that actually going to be worth at that time? Okay, well, there are other things that you can do to mitigate that. Yeah. So, um, Because you don't know what's going to happen with inflation, et cetera. But so if you don't have... You almost excuse it when you're younger, right? Eyes young. But if someone hasn't instilled that financial discipline in you when you're younger so that you always put back for a rainy day, always put back for a rainy day, the odds that you're going to get it later in life, unless you have some sort of epiphany where you go, holy crap, and have an oh shit moment like that you said, David, is not going to, to, it's not going to take place. Look, when I was younger, money came in, money went out. Yeah, that was that. That's all there was to it. I wanted the stereo. I wanted this. I wanted that. I just bought it. I didn't have a savings account, fellas, until I got married. Yeah, I had a checking account. The money was there. If I wanted something, strip clubs, whatever it is I wanted to do, I went. Yeah, that was it. Not a problem for me. All right, young, single, didn't make a difference. You got married, and then boom, my father's voice right in the background. It's like he showed up out of nowhere. Like he showed up, but you know, I don't know. And he had been gone for many years, God rest his soul. Uh, but and that's when his voice came back. And you know, I know, I know. He's like, so "How's that working for saving for a rainy day?" Yeah. I'm like, "I'm sorry, Pop." So that's when I had to, to get my act together. Yeah. Right. That's when I started investing in insurance products because my father was 55 when he kicked, and he didn't have any insurance. He was a child of the depression. So he didn't believe in life insurance. Yeah. So when he died, what we had was what we had on our backs, man. That was it. Yeah. My mother was a teacher. So this was not, you know, some lucrative gig where she's earning all this money. Yeah. You know? I, a few years ago, we didn't have a savings account at all for the business, personally. We didn't have anything, right? And a lot of that was was personal decision and and I, we I've shared this before I'm not afraid to say like I I didn't have to right like it was never necessary sort of like what you said it was never truly necessary and and you know now looking back I I had I'll just say that if that savings account dropped sub $10,000 like there's times I've got to go into it right if it drops sub $10,000 I'm getting nervous yeah you know what I mean because I, when you realize how important it is, you realize that thing that comes up, that thing that happens that you can't control. And the difference between the stress level that you had and what it did to your family, what it did to those around you, what it did to your employees and the way you treated people and the way you acted because it got that low and you didn't have the money to take care of that thing compared to what it is when you can say, this is going to hurt, this is going to suck, here's 10000 right? And and you know, one of the things I think about with shops is we've seen a lot of shops talk about the fact that they've had their insurance canceled because they've had to do so many claims. Yeah. And and you think, well, if you had had fifty or sixty thousand dollars in the bank and you had had fifteen or twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars in savings and something like that happened, you may have depleted that for now. But if you're diligent about saving back up, it will come back up. But if you had that money, you paid it off, guess what? Your insurance wouldn't be canceled because now you paid for that mistake out of pocket. It was your money. You self-insured. Yeah. And now you're not paying an astronomical. And, and I think that's probably the biggest thing I've learned about finances is not having money makes it more expensive to live, right? Because you're a higher risk to those around you. So if you need money, money's more expensive. If you need insurance, insurance is more expensive because you're a higher risk, right? And I think that so many people just don't have the forethought to think that through and say, I need to be prepared for this. And and so we, you know, I, I, we always talk about this. I don't want to come back to it over and over again, but we talk to these guys who are technicians who want to start shops and, and they're like, all these people are pissed off. I mean, they are absolutely pissed that we've been saying if you don't have $100,000, don't go try and start a shop. Mm-hmm. Whether you finance it, whatever you do. And they're like, I started my shop with $10,000. You don't understand why we're saying it. It has nothing to do with, well, you could do it. Of course you could do it. 
I did it. I was an idiot. Yeah, I started. It was hell. Yeah. Right. And it put me in in jeopardy that until now I didn't realize I was in that jeopardy. I put my family in jeopardy. I put everybody around me in jeopardy. When I didn't have to, it wasn't important. I could have gone and got a job and made just as much money as what I made up to that point. So they, they think it's like, well, you're saying you can't start a shop without $100,000. No, that's not what I'm saying. I think we've been saying more. Yeah, uh, 200 I think, is like what we've been saying. Mill, yeah. It, it's the fact that, that if you can't get to that spot, if you can't have that money to get there, it is a whole different proposition to have a business without that security. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.